0: one of those areas is that we need to really reflect what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of James, I don't know, if you and I have been been listening to the word of God, you will leave this place. Somebody said, my feet are swollen. Why? Because he keeps stepping on my toes, right? Because it's so practical. I'm letting you know, if, if none of these messages that you've heard has impacted your life, then you're not listening. Because every time I hear these things, it I, I am convicted because I have to live up to what the word of God says. So how do I know if I truly am a believer or not? The book of James gives us a very good and practical things. Remember, he dealt with, uh, he deals with the tongue. He deals with temptation. He deals with trials. He deals with your wisdom. How how do you, how can you say, if you turn a Christian? He did, dealt with faith. You have faith? Show me your works. And I believe you were here last Sunday. Uh, Uh, pastor donnie spoke about quarrels too about uh, worldliness and by the way is it possible to be christian and still be worldly i would say yep that's why we need god's help right i don't know about you do you see worldliness uh, creeping into your life it does why because we live in a broken world let me talk about the broken world everything's broken today folks If you think things are going to get better, it's not. Why? It all started with Adam and Eve, remember? Have have you ever thought about that? Adam and Eve had the perfect world, right? If you were Adam, think about this. He could say to Eve, honey, you're the only girl in my life. Have you ever thought about that? Right, that's true. It was paradise. There was nothing wrong. Everything was there. But yet, for one moment in their life, pride came in when the, the devil who tempted them and says, you know what? God is withholding something from you. You could be better than this. There you hear the lie, and they suck to that. And because of that, ever since the fall, everything has been broken. Marriages are broken. I don't know about you. I've seen a lot of broken marriages today. I've seen also families that are broken because of sin. I've seen uh, our government that is broken because of people making decisions. I've seen all kinds of brokenness. Why? Because I'm also a broken person. Let me give you why. Number one, by nature, even nature today, have you realized, has has somebody ever approached you and said, you know, why is it that God allows tidal waves? Have you ever thought about that? If God is in control, why have tidal waves or earthquakes? or all these disasters and sickness. Why is this happening? Nature, even nature, according to the book of Romans, is groaning for God's redemption. Because if we will live for all eternity in a world that is broken like this, it will be miserable. Thank God, the Bible says one of these days, he will come back and he will change this world because we need to live in a perfect world. We're all broken. Nature tells us we're broken. By the way, even, uh, I have to say this in a proper way. Even people that are physically handicapped. Have you seen the Siamese twins, right? I've seen people today, I've been working with people with disabilities. When you look at that, that is also a part of our broken world. It's not perfect. And we wonder why, because that's what it is. So we, we, let's understand, our world is broken. Who else is broken? You and I are broken. We have that sinful nature still in our lives. I don't know about you. I still have to deal with my sinful nature every day. Why? Because I still want to be controlled. You know what sin says? I want my own life. I want my own way and get out of the way. Just give me what I want. That's what what sin is all about. Remember the word sin, S-I-N? That's the brokenness of our lives and we need somebody to help step into our lives. And here's the beautiful part, and you've been studying about this too. Even in the broken world, God is still in control. Because he has a plan for you in my life if we're just willing to trust him. So that's my prayer, that as we go to the study today, once again we'll see we're living in a worldly world. And how do we deal with this and how can we overcome that? Okay? So if you got your Bibles with you, open it with to James chapter 4, verse 4 to verse 10. This is, this is going to be a, a continuation of where Brother Donnie uh, spoke last Sunday, alright? But I'm just going to start from verse uh, chapter 4, verse 4 to verse 10. Alright, in honor of God's Word, if you don't mind, why don't we all stand? Because this is God's Word, we believe in His authority. Together, let's read this. Let's read it together in unison, because there's something about the reading of God's Word. There's something about reading and hearing it ourselves. Shall we read it together in unison? You adulterous God, people... Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Shall we pray, Lord? It is, a prayer that your word will be so clear to us today. We are all needy people, are broken people. Yes, the Lord, we have all the challenges that we face. But we thank you, Lord, because you cared so much about us. You gave us your son. That we might experience the newness of life. Hope. Not only that, Lord, we are given the power to become what you want us to be. Help me, Lord, to give your word with clarity, once again with boldness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things I love—maybe this is March, March Madness—but I also like to watch football games. You know, uh, There was a game way back in uh, twenty eighteen. It was a Rose Bowl parade, uh, Rose Bowl game between Georgia Bulldogs and the Oklahoma Schooners, Right? It was a—it was a game, and they had double overtime. Right? After the game, one of the guys, his name was Bellamy, he—he he was seeing the quarterback of the opposite. Team, right, I think its name was Mayfield. As they were walking by, the, the 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 cameras caught the video, because what happened before the game, you know, you know, people talk trash against another team. This quarterback from Oklahoma was talking trash to Georgia Bulldogs. I said, ah, you know, in other words, he was just taunting them. And after the game, Oklahoma lost. Okay, double overtime, and you can see uh, the linebacker Bellamy was walking over. Then he sees the quarterback and he shouts loud. Humble yourself. <laughs> humble yourself. Like you can see been like humble and you can see the camera that's standing with him. And afterwards, they caught that those two words. Humble yourselves. Yourself. And that's exactly what the cameras did. And then they asked him, say, so why do you say that? And then he said, Well, he was just talking trash. <coughs> and now that they lost, he said, Stop talking, right? Just do it. In other words, let's not be too proud. In church, we need to learn the word humble yourself. If there's something I want to share with you this morning, is the word humble yourself. You know why? For me, this is one of the most painful messages I had to give because it's the area that I keep struggling as I grow older. I don't know about you. You know, when I was young, I've been tempted about fleshly things, right? Beauty, you know, everything outside cars. I don't know, but as but you grow older, there's nothing more to prove, right? I already have my beautiful wife, right? I have my wonderful kids. I got all, I, I enjoy things. But the thing I deal with that's so hard, it's pride. I don't know about you. My pride chicken is so hard that sometimes, you know, it's, it's like there was this pastor, all right? I don't know. It's the only pastors, right? Uh, he had to deal with the, the fact that he was leaving. Was going to go to another place, and so afterwards, uh, one of the persons says, "You know, pastor, I just feel so bad that you you're going to be leaving us. You're going to go to another church." He said, oh, "It's it's okay, you know. Don't worry. The Lord will provide. There's always going to be somebody better that God is going to give you." And so it's, he thought the pastor thought that he was going to say something nice, right? And so the he says, "Yeah, you know, that's a problem." I heard it already three times, Of so pastors said the same thing. And the ones they give us, it's not better, it's always worse. So you hear the pastor says, ouch, right? <laughs> so I'm not the better one, right? That can be painful from a pastor. Because thinking that you've done so well, if it's all about us, it hurts our pride. So let me, let me make sure that we understand this to, 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 to put it all together. Why do we have conflicts today? Remember from Brother Donnie, starting with James, James chapter one? Because one of the things that is because of our pride. We want to get it ourselves. so we, we have conflict with others because we don't get what we want. That's pride. It's either my way, it's not gonna be your way, right? And that's where pride comes in. Think about the quarrels you have at home, right? Little, little, little things, little squabbles, right? In your home, with, with workers, it's all about your, your relationship with others, it's always based upon pride. Not only that, it's also conflict with yourself. Now, the reason why I say conflict with yourself, we are driven to get what we want. And if I don't get it, it's like a little child. I don't know about you, I've got grandkids today. You know what is one of their favorite words? No. I don't know about it. Have you ever noticed that? Who ever taught my grandkids to say no, right? One time he says, let's pray. No, pray. <laughs> right? it's, it's no, right? And, and my, my second grandson, I thought he was weak because, you know, my, my, my son is, is a good natured boy, right? I said, maybe, and he was so nice. Sit down. Right? Oh, wow, he's different from my, my, my first one, right? The next thing you know, right now, it's like, sit down. No. in, No. <laughs> you know what I said? Normal. <laughs> are desirous just to do things our way. And there's going to be conflict about that. These are what you call uncontrollable desires. Church, that's what Danny was saying last time. we get got conflict with others, we get conflict ourselves because there are things we desire. And let me tell you, it never satisfies. Have you noticed that? Oh man, if I get this beautiful brand new car, I'm going to be the happiest person, right? And if you're like me, if you have a brand new car, I don't know, have you ever noticed that? People have brand new cars when you go to the, to the shopping mall or shopping plaza, they park way out, right? You know why? They don't want anybody to ding that car, right? Because the moment you come back, you saw the thing, you are like, oh, it's so painful, right? But after five years, who cares, right? You've got so many things already. And it's, it's, but you, know, you may go to a concert, have you ever noticed that? You may feel good about the concert, but somebody else will say, that's a lousy concert. Then you get mad, right? Why? Because you have your own opinions. I'm just saying we are all conflicted people. And therefore, if we're going to live in, a, in a, an ungodly world, we need to stop comparing ourselves and need, need to deal with ourselves. Alright. So if you got your Bibles with you, open to me to verse 7. I think maybe Don will talk to you about that. Anytime you decide something that the world does, it's it's you become an enemy of God because you wanted your way rather than God's way, and so if we're going to deal with this, that's the back of there about worldliness. We need a, a number of areas that will help us overcome worldliness. Let's start from verse seven. It says, "Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you." All right. It starts with the very first thing here. It says. Submit yourselves to God. A church, it is hard for people to submit to God. I don't know about you. How, How many times have you come up with plans? Okay, God, this is my plan, all right? And okay, Lord, here it is. Bless it. Does it sound good? My question is, submission says it is not your plan. It is whose plan? Do you start with God's plan? Okay, Lord, what is your will and plan for my life? Show me, and I'm willing to submit to you. Many times, it's always the other way around. You come up with your plan. Lord, this is what I want to do. I want to marry this guy. I want to do this. I want to do... Have you noticed that? Okay, now bless it, Lord, because I'm giving it to you. That's not submission. That's coercion. You don't even make a good Lord, and I'm going to ask this in the name of Jesus. <coughs> well, how do you know if it is God's will? When you force it for yourselves. So being humble means you're realizing that God is God, and I'm not. Let's say it together. God is God, and I'm not. I learned this from Rick Warren a long time ago. I heard, how many of you like Rick Warren? I like Rick Warren. Something is very simple. I have to understand, I'm not God, and he's God. And therefore, when I make my plans, I am not here to tell God what I should be doing with my life. I said, Lord, it is your plan, and let me submit to you what your plans are. So let me ask you, how many of us really do that? If, if you're like me, there's a, I, I have a tendency, I don't know about you, right? My, my wife knows about this, you know? Even in my little things, I have to be, be, be made aware. For example, have you ever lost something in your house? So what do you do? You keep going around. Where did I put that, right? And then my Bible says, ask me later on, did you pray? No. Have you asked God about this? You know what I say? No. Why do you pray? And sure enough, after I pray, I find it. What happens to you, pride? You think you know where it is. But you realize you're not in control. I'm just saying it's as simple as that. Am I willing to submit to the Lord? Do you have goals? And are your goals wise enough? Are you a person that is willing to, to say, Lord, help me manage my relationship. Help me manage my finances. Help me manage the, my problems. How many of us really consult him that well? And if, I'm, if, if, you're, not, I don't know, if you're not like me, maybe you're, you're more spiritual than I am. Sometimes my first tendency is to do things my way. Because I've done it a lot of times already. I say, God, please forgive me when I become so presumptuous that I know. Especially a lot of us already been in in, in the ministry for a long time. We think that we already know everything. It says, Lord, the longer I am in the ministry, the more I realize I'm just one away from doing something, forgive me, use this word, from doing something stupid. So one step away from doing something foolish. I can do something, I can say something, and i my 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 life. Have you noticed that today? Even in companies today? You say one word, that can mess up your life. Have you, have you realized that? You touch somebody the wrong way, you could mess up your life. Because it can go somewhere else. I'm just saying I'm just one way from doing something wrong. And the more I'm, I'm longer in the ministry, I realize, God, I need your help. Please help me from not saying the stupid things, the wrong things, but doing things the wrong way. Proverbs fifteen, verse thirty-three. Got your Bibles with you? It's not in the booklet, but I love what Proverbs fifteen, thirty-three says: "The fear of the Lord is in the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes what humility." Yeah. You come to the point, and says God, "I don't really know what to do, so help me that I don't make the wrong decisions." I need your wisdom so number one get down on your knees take a knee in other words be humble come down to your knees and say God I need to be willing to be submissive to you that's the first thing you need to do come down on your knees Lord I don't want to make foolish decisions and I need your help the second thing I want you to know it's it's a very simple thing says resist the devil it is a it is the command with a promise as well it says Resist the devil, and he what? He will free from you. The word resist here is a military word. You know what it says? Stand your ground at all costs. In other words, church, there comes a point of time when you need to learn how to fight back with the help of the Lord. You can say, no, stop it, that's it. That's the kind of word that tells us here. In other words, you'd be willing to stand your ground. In other words, when Satan says, go and curse a person, you know what you say? I'm gonna stand my ground. No. If you're being tempted to have a relationship with somebody and you know it's wrong, you say, what? No, I stand on my ground. This is not right. When you're tempted to lie, what do you do? You say, God, will you help? help me to tell the truth? I'm saying because our tendency is for us to play. Like what the world does. A little lie is okay. A little cheating is okay. No, it's not. The Bible says it's wrong. You run. That's what David did. When he was being tempted, what did he do? He fled. He flew. In other words, he was this woman that wanted him, part for his wife. And he, he even left his coat. I'm just saying, you got to run. I'm saying David, of course, fell into, in, into sin as well. But Joseph had to be careful, he had to learn how to run as well. We need to resist the devil and flee. You know, one of the things I love about having cats and dogs, I don't know about you, I've used this illustration before. When I was growing up, we had cats and dogs at home. And so I i love I to see them, but I also like to see them quarrel. And you know, so I, I was naughty when I was young. Sometimes I would go to the cat like, hey, yeah, I, I don't know, I, I was kind of, there were even times, I had to make confession, I would take our, a cat before, I would go to the second floor and drop them. Like, I, I can see the cat. I just had fun. <laughs> I said, Lord, sorry, I'm glad I don't, my kids didn't see me growing up doing that. But anyway, I also love to see what cats would do. Our dogs would run after the cat, and that cat would just run around the house, okay? Right? And then there comes a point in time, that cat gets so mad, it just goes, right? And you can see the dog, He stops. He stands the ground. Church, at times, we need to start doing that. Stand your ground. And just don't let a bully like Satan, all the sinful people in the world tell you what to do, and you run away from that. You need to stand your ground and resist the devil. The Bible says he's given us the armor of what? The breastplate of armor that we can use to to fight Satan. You know, at times, I have to say, God, will you please control my head? Because I don't know about you. Our mind is so fertile that when I can come here, I can start thinking about things. I have to make sure this is where we start to have problems. It's what we do with our mind. And church, if this is not being controlled, this will control us. For example, if you come in here and your head says, I don't want to see that person because when I see that person again and it says something wrong, I'm go- yeah, it starts with the head, all right? You come in here really angry, right? When you come into the church, all of a sudden you're just starting to think, oh, this is going to be a lousy service. It's going to be lousy, right? Because you already made the, this, this mental image here. I'm saying it's a battle for the mind, and the Bible says we need to put this under the captive of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because how you think is how you do things. Okay. We were using our Bible study last night, all right? And I'm not going to point out anybody here, because we have these things here. Have you noticed that our mind is, can make you think about stuff? When you're afraid about people who dies, and you think this person is going to show up, in your mind, every little thing that happens to the house, the door closed. <laughs> <laughs> Have you noticed that? The window? all of a sudden, the wind goes Ooh. I, I, I don't know, I, 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 have you noticed that, right? And all of a sudden, you have this goosebump. Oh. Not realizing that the, the air conditioning just turned on. Oh. It's the battle for the mind. Church, I'm just telling you, you know why I'm saying this? Because I was like that too, right? I thought that everything that was said to me is real when the Bible says it is a lie. When a person dies, they never come back anymore. Alright? So erase it from your mind. They will not show up anymore because they're dead and their soul goes to where God is prepared them for. If we have these things today, it's because we're listening to a lie. And so the Bible says, Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. Amen. So don't be scared, all right? It's the mind. Satan wants us to be fearful, but the Bible says we have overcome him with the blood and the testimony of Christ that he rose again from the grave, and Satan is afraid. Listen, church, when you start to pray, Satan runs away because you are calling on the Almighty God, and he submits to him. So there's nothing to be scared of. Amen? So number two, fight back. So if there's temptation from the world, from Satan, you fight back. Number three, it's found in, it's, it's found in verse eight. By the way, if you fight back, he flees from you. That's, that's the promise. Look at verse four. Here's another one that has command and promise. It says, come near to God, <coughs> and he will come near to you. I love this verse. I don't know about you. Have you ever an expression? Do you feel far from God? Umu. Think about that. Do you feel that you're far from God? Who moved? God has not withdrawn himself from us. You know, even when you make mistake, he doesn't say You know, that's one of the things I don't like about sometimes in the, you, you know, when people growing up, time they make mistake. Listen, God is not like that. He does not withhold our love at any moment. It's still there. It's just we move away from him. His love is constant because that's who our God is. We are fickle-minded because that's what the world does. If you don't love me anymore, I don't love you anymore. No, the Bible says he loves us with an unconditional love. And therefore, when we draw near to God, we must understand God does not go away from us. But we need to draw near to him because we're the one you see that gets away from him. It's like the prodigal son. You want to overcome the world today? You better be close to God. You know what I like about that? When I'm close to God, I don't care who you are. If Jesus is with me, we are a majority. Have you thought about that? If God is with me, I don't care if the the, even the world is going to be against me. I've got the greatest person in me, the God of the universe. He is with me. And why should I be scared? And so if I draw near to him, I can gain confidence and power from him as well. The fourth thing here. Wash your hands. Oh, maybe some of you who, are, who are, are very conscious about dirt today, they love to wash your hands, right? And it's, it's, it's good. It says, wash your hands. In other words, make sure that you clean yourself up, you sinners, and purify your heart. You double-minded. Wash your hands. Church, whether we like it or not, these hands, because of our sinful nature, can do so many damage to other people. You know that? If you this, what the hands can do, you can slap a person like that. What happened to that person? But you can also use these hands to care for people. And that's why one of the things I had to learn, I says, Lord, forgive me my hands, because I've, sometimes I've used my hands, even when raising my kids, in the wrong way. I have to confess this to you. Because when I'm angry, what's the first thing I want to do when I, want, when I have my kids? You know where I learned it from? My dad. Oh, my dad was tough my dad was not just the hands he had the sword like he would take off his belt it's two brothers right we always fought every day so every my father says all right come that is it it doesn't matter when you both fight both of you well sometimes we're so we're so quick instead of using a neutral a neutral belt we use our hands in church we have to be Careful. The Bible talks about the rather correction. The very same hands that is used for loving a person and used for spanking is confusing the person. I said, Lord, please forgive me because my hands can become filthy as well. When instead of showing love, I show dirt with this. And by the way, sometimes you use our hands for throwing dirt at, uh, uh, at another person. Have you noticed that? What happens when you get dirt and throw it at another person? What happens to your hand? got dirt as well. Lord, please forgive me when I want to judge other people and throw dirt at them, looking at their faults. When I myself have faults in my life. Lord, wash me. Wash me clean. That I don't do this because I am also sinful. I have this big black in my eyes, but I see the speck in another person's life. We're all judgmental people. Why? Because of pride. Once again, pride. Shows up. What else? Look at verse 5. This one is so hard when you do it. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Why would you use this as, as an encouragement? Have you noticed this statement here? It sounds so negative. In other words, what they were saying, hey, change. Remove that laughter. Have you ever seen those drill sergeants in the military? You fall in line, and you come around, and if you smile, you know what it says? Why are you smiling? No, just saying, hey, take out that smile in your face. What? In other words, you don't want me to smile and to laugh? I thought we were supposed to have laughter in our lives. <clears throat> Let me paraphrase this. He says, stop playing games. But he's saying, you be serious. You claim to be a Christian, you know, you're laughing on the outside, but in the inside, you're here in church today. There's a lot of mess in our lives today. You know what? I know. Why? Because we're all broken people. Remember what I said earlier? In other words, you're saying, don't put that, let me use the word, hypocritical face. That the moment you step into the church, you know, you're from your anger outside. <laughs> oh, I love you. Yeah, I'm saying, but deep inside of us, we know we're not. We're We're hurting. Because we have not lived according to God's standard, we've done things our own way. And the Bible says, you better be serious. Because God wants us to experience the joy of knowing Him, but instead, we decide to do it our way. It says, get serious. Number six. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. He began with this, and He what? Ended with this. Church, being humble is not easy. Because you have to crucify yourself. So let me share with you uh, something I put over here. Let me see. I can find a little piece of paper. Well, anyway, there it is. Here's what some, somebody said. Appetite, your appetite says, be sensuous. Enjoy yourself. That's what appetite is. In other words, the appetite says do whatever your body wants. Enjoy yourself. Education says be resourceful. Expand yourself. No more. right. Materialism says be satisfied. In other words, get whatever you want. Please yourself. Psychology says be confident. Fulfill yourself. Pride says, be superior. Promote yourself. Humanism says, be capable. Believe in yourself. But God says, be wise. Humble yourself. Be wise. Humble yourself. I want to share with you... a uh, an illustration about somebody who had a, a Sunday dinner. It was during the Depression time. You know, you can see a, a person that is, is humble. And because there was not a lot, this, this family uh, had a vegetable garden. They just planted garden to feed themselves. But there was this train station that came by, and all of a sudden, people would just hop off from the train, and people who don't have much to eat, they're like the hobos or whatever, they ride on the train. They would go to this house where they would have a meal every night and a dinner, but they always were willing to share it to somebody. But anyway, there was this one, uh, one person came, and they had a lot of vegetables. So when the person came, the husband said, Lizzie, we have a guest today Add another plate. His name is Martin. Please, let's welcome him. And this person could not say anything, all right? But he was such a hungry person. And so the whole family was around the table. They added one more chair. While they were about to, before they eat, usually they would pray. So they all would pray, and they would sit down, and the first person who eats usually would be the guest. And so everybody was watching this hobo, right? That's what they call him, a hobo. And he got, there was some peace. and he got a, a knife. And he started to pick up the piece with his knife, and barely trembling his hand, he put the piece in his mouth, a few pieces, and he started eating. He was the first one to eat. And, and the kids started to look, and they started to, like, oh, he's using his knife to eat the piece. And the mom just kind of looked at him and said, don't laugh. When the father saw that the hobo was eating with the pea with the knife, he looked at his wife. And so the father dropped his fork. He got the knife. And he started to eat the piece with his knife. The whole time, everybody ate the piece with the knife. Why do you think the father did that? Out of pride, he can say he doesn't know how to eat this person. With we can correct that person. But in his humble way of saying, this person is here for a meal. I'm not here to put him down. I'm here to encourage him. And the whole time they had the pea with his spoon, uh, with his knife. That became the story. From then on, every now and then, sometimes the kids would come and they would see grandma eating with a pea, with a, with, with a, a knife. says, Grandma, why are you eating with a knife, with a pea? It falls off you when uh, every time you eat it. And he tells the story of how God used that meal time to minister to this person who may be able to look down. Our church, one more illustration. In one church, there was a young man that came to this big church. And that young man who came from the street didn't know what church was all about. He came in. And right in the middle of the service, that young man came here. He had, had long hair. He was haggard. He, he came down. And instead of sitting in the pew, because the pew was all filled up, he came right here. And he sat in front. Guess what the whole church was doing? They started to look at that person. In some churches, they would ask this person out. But instead of ushering out, there was one old man who noticed that that young man just stood there by himself. This old man came, and he sat down beside in the floor with this young man the whole time. Church, when you become a humble person, you no longer think about yourself. Here's the word. We learn to think more about others. Why? Because God set the greatest example. He had everything in glory. He came into a broken world. He was willing to become a humble servant. A humble servant who was willing to die for your sins and my sins. Because in his humility, he set set for us the greatest example. And what I like about this is that when you come to the cross, when he died on the cross, you know what he said? He died for all sinners. That includes you, that includes me. And the ground is flat. So church, as we think about this holy... This Lenten season. I pray that the statement of humility becomes your trademark and my trademark. Say, God, it's no longer about me. When I'm hurt, well that's what they did to the Son of God. When I was overlooked, that's what they did to the Lord Jesus Christ. When He was crucified, nobody even spoke up for Him. In other words, He was abandoned. But in spite of this, he never abandoned us because he knew the only way for us to be saved was through Him dying on the cross. The Son of God took such a humiliating form that it becomes the glory of God to see His Son crucified for me. Not because we deserve this, but because He loved us. Church, one of the signs of a church that is not a worldly church is that it's learned no longer to think about themselves, but to think more of others. See, that is the big mark of a true believer. Less of me, and more of him. Shall we pray? Will every head be bowed and rise to close?